I'm going to ask Charlie, and if you wouldn't mind, Georgia, would you stand and be a couple actors for me today? And uh, I just need one other actor. I think I saw Livy's hand shoot up. You didn't even know what I was going to ask in your hand, sir. Would you come up for a second? Uh, Georgia and Charlie, why don't you stand right over here? And um, you, you are going to be uh, Roman soldiers, just Georgia and Charlie, not you, Livy. I got a very special role for you. Actually, why don't you come here? Charlie, why don't you stand right next to Georgia? Now, they are Roman soldiers. Can any of you kids tell me anything that you know about Romans, the Roman people? Okay, Graham, what can you tell me about who the Romans were? Okay, so the, 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 the Romans were the people who were in control of the Jews in Jesus' time. They ruled over Judea and a lot of the world, and the Jews didn't always get along with them, right? George and Charlie, you're going to be Romans, okay? Not everybody's going to like you, but I'm going to give you something to show that you're the ones in power, and I didn't have a sword. You know, Romans often carried swords. All we, all we had at our house was a lightsaber. So um, you can, you can you, Charlie, you have to share it with Georgia, and if, can I trust you with that? It's a symbol to make a point, okay? All right, Georgia, you're in control if he gets out of control. You can take it back. Okay, now, Livy, you know what your role is? You didn't, you could have, you're actually going to be Jesus in this story. Okay, cool. Okay, so here's the story we're going to talk through today. So, the Romans ran the government, and they required all the people to pay taxes. Now, who knows what taxes are? Can you tell, Caitlin, what are taxes? It's money that the government needs for what? Yeah, maybe for building cities, to do all kinds of things. When they went to war, you need money for, like, travel and weapons and things like that. But also to, like, yeah, build up roads, build up cities, and to do some things that not all the Jews loved. They didn't love all the things that Rome was spending their money on. Just a second, Graham. So here's, here's the story that we, I, need, I need you to know about, and it's the story that we're going to talk about in our sermon in a few moments, okay? So the Romans come, and they tell the people to pay their taxes. Now, the people are really, a lot of the people are following Jesus pretty closely, and they want to know what Jesus thinks about paying taxes to these mean Romans. So the the Romans come and they say, you want us to say, pay your taxes. Georgia, what do you think? Can you yell? Taxes, no! Okay, okay, all right, all right. It's Georgia's turn, okay. Okay. How do you think the people feel about that? What do you think? And they look to Jesus, Charlie. Last morning, bro. Got it? Over here, by the speaker. How do you think the people feel about that? Zeke, what do you think? Do you think they liked that? No. No, they didn't like that. What do you think? And, and so they looked at Jesus and say, Jesus, should we have to pay our taxes? What do you think they hope Jesus says? They, they hope Jesus says, no. You don't have to pay your taxes to them. They're mean. Now, how about this? What do you think the Romans are going to think of Jesus if he says, no, don't pay your taxes. Anybody else that I haven't called on yet? Yeah, Norris. The Romans might get kind of nasty with Jesus. You know what? And, and not Norris is actually right. They might even want to kill Jesus. That's coming later in the week, Maisie. The cross is coming. But the moment we're talking about today, do you see how Jesus might feel stuck? Wouldn't you feel stuck? If I say, pay your taxes, all of you are going to hate me. But if I say, don't pay your taxes, watch out. These mean Romans are going to come and get me. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt 
really stuck between maybe two people. Maybe one person really wants you to do something, but that somebody else doesn't want you to do it. Have you ever felt kind of maybe two friends, between two friends who are arguing or something? Jim, you have? Do you want to share any more about that, or you just you felt that way before? Maisie, do you have anything to share about that? Hold on, Isaac, you next. Maisie. Your friends are squeezing because they both wanted you to sit next to them? Isaac, how about you? Have you ever felt kind of stuck between two people? One, one person or group wanted you to do one thing, and other person wanted you to do something else? That's right. Yeah. Well, here's, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, and you guys have been so great. I'm going to send you back to your grown-ups. Here's, it, what's that? It's called a debate. That's one thing it's called. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's like a debate. Two sides arguing, right? Here's what we're going to talk about today. When one side and another want you to do different things, what we're always listening for is, what does God want us to do? And you know what? That's not always easy to obey God when two people want you to do different things. Okay? Thanks so much for listening. I'll take the sword back, Roman soldier. And I'm going to ask you all to go back to your grown-ups. Can we get a round of applause for our kids this morning? And those... And those who are helping read scripture can join me on the stage. I think that's Graham. And is there anybody else, Mr. Stephen? Olivia and Graham, if you all would, would join me on the stage for scripture reading. And uh, adults, would you stand for this morning scripture reading from the Gospel of Mark? Okay, Graham, you're going to read from uh, the passage in Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. And Olivia, I believe, you can come on over here. You're going to read the passage from... Yeah, that's right. Mark 12, verses 13 through 17. So this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But, if, but shall we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And they sent him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to a test? Bring me a denarius and let, and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Okay, everyone. Welcome again. My name's John, if we haven't met, and I serve as the pastor here. If you're new, I'd love to say hi if I haven't had a chance yet, if I've never met you before. There is a section right inside the back cover of this bulletin where you could say hi 
give your, say, email address. If you wanted somebody to follow up and say hello and e-meet you and maybe follow up to meet you in person. Um, also, you should know two weeks from today, if you're new or newish here, there's a class right after the service, includes lunch, uh, down in our offices. It's called a New to Liberty class. And it's a series of classes. We're starting it in the new year. If you want to find out more about what we believe, what we're trying to do as a church, et cetera, we would love to have you. That's two weeks from today. And there's, there's more announcements in the bulletin if you want to look at it later. I just didn't want to fail to say welcome because I didn't get a chance to say that yet. So this morning's passages, Mark 11, 27 through 33, and Mark 12, verses 13 through 17. If you didn't notice already, uh, it was on the screen, but the full texts are also in your bulletin. You're going to want to refer back either in a, a, a Bible, a full hard copy Bible, or in the bulletin, because we're going to be looking at the words again as we move along. What do these passages have in common that are spoken on the last week of Jesus' life? A couple things. They're both passages about authority, who's in charge, and they're both passages about allegiances. Are you on this side or on this side? Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to stand with? You cannot stand with both all the time. Which one's it going to be? That's what both these passages are about. And you remember last week, actually, Victor spoke on the parable of the tenants in the vineyard. And like Mark does with so many other things in this gospel, he kind of groups uh, these show-and-tell narratives. There's two dialogues about authority and allegiance, and really that parable, which actually goes right in the middle here. It's Mark 11, 27 through 33, then the parable, and then we come out on the render to Caesar passage in Mark 12. That's really a parable, if you were with us last week, about authority. There's this owner of a vineyard, and he leases out the vineyard to tenants to, to you know, work the land, and he sends some service, servants back to get some fruit, and they beat up his servants. And the point of the story is like, well, hey, who's an authority here anyway? I thought I owned the vineyard. Who's an authority? So in Mark 11, if you were reading along, The priests come along to Jesus and they say, by what authority do you do this? By what authority do you you do what? This is right after Jesus trashed the temple. He walks into the temple, turns over all the tables, and says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. You've turned it into a den of thieves. And they come, like you or I totally would as well, up to Jesus and say, what in the world gives you the right to do this here now? And Jesus responds by saying, well, let me ask you a question. What authority did John the Baptist have? He's basically saying it's the same authority. John didn't work really inside the temple structures. He had people going out to the wilderness to be baptized by him. And what these priests really think is, well, we think he's crazy just like you. We want to be rid of him just like we want, and we are now, just in the same way we want to be rid of you, but they fear the people. See, their allegiance is torn, right? Do you feel it? For fear of the people, Mark writes down, they said, I I guess we don't know. Because if they said, yeah, John was great, Jesus would say, well, same authority. If they say John was terrible, the people would turn against them, and they'd be lost. And they got to keep things on an even keel. And their allegiances are split, and they are frozen. They might permanently lose the approval of the people. Can't have that. So they just walk away, bitter and murderous. 
can I just ask you in 2022, have you, because let's not make these chief priests wooden figures. They did feel split between allegiances. They probably also really actually wanted to serve God a lot of days. They probably looked at the temple and all of its beauty and all of its tradition and all of the blood and sweat and tears and prayers that went into it. And they said, we don't want this place to be reviled. We don't want its reputation to wane. And this guy's throwing over tables. There's there's many, many mixed motives here, just like you have. How many times this year have you felt split, like right down the middle? Like if I stand with these people who I love, these other people who I love, it might be all over. I might have to speak a word or take a stand or just not take a stand, and it might have permanent consequences, and it feels like I'm being torn in half. I may become a pariah if I speak plainly, if I even know how to speak plainly. And I actually think as much as their hearts were idolatrous, the elders and the chief priests really didn't know what to say. Same thing. Only as the passage moves on, or really as we move on to the next passage, and that's really the main thing we're going to talk about this morning, we find people that are finding all this stuff in themselves, this splitness, and putting it onto Jesus. Jesus is going to be just as stuck when he's torn between allegiances. And that's the passage in Romans, excuse me, uh, Mark 12, verses 13 through 17. It is very much a trap. Uh, Mark says so in verse 13. The Herodians and the Pharisees, very different groups of people who have a common enemy in Jesus, never underestimate how much two opposed people can come together when they hate the same person. They come to Jesus, and they try to trap him by testing his allegiances, and you saw the kids act it out. If Jesus says, no, do not pay taxes to Caesar, the Romans will seek him out as a troublemaker and kill him. On the other hand, the people of Israel, who are very much being actively oppressed by the Romans, the people of Israel, they can't bear to hear Jesus say, do whatever the Romans say. Jesus, you're the Messiah. We just saw you come down the Mount of Olives. We just said Hosanna over and over again in Mark 11. Don't tell us that you're on their side. It's all, we can't bear it. Please. You said at the synagogue at the beginning of your ministry you were here to set the captives free. So prove to us you're not a liar by telling us we have to pay our taxes. My goodness. They're robbing us blind. We're already poor. He's split in half, I'm sure, even though he's the divine son of God. So, Jesus, whose side is he on? One last note before I try to apply this a little bit more. You need to know this isn't just about political and economic splitness. This is also a religious issue. So, um, the denarius that Jesus says in the passage, Jesus says, Bring me a denarius in verse 15. We know exactly what that coin looked like because it's come down to us through archaeology from antiquity. These were single coins that bore the image of Caesar. We know exactly what it said on the coin. First of all, it had his image. Pretty good likeness of Caesar. His image was on the coin. It also said on the coin... Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. D- 
divine Augustus. Did you know that Caesar was one of the gods? Certainly to those who were involved in the Roman cult. This is a religious split, not just a political one. On the flip side of the coin, it referred to Caesar as a high priest. I mean, they could not have been more offensive to the Jews with this coin if they tried. It was a religious splitting, not just simply a political or social one that faced Jesus. And what did he say? This is the teaching. That's all the setup. This is the teaching. Verse 17. Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And we've been arguing about what he meant for 2,000 years. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. There has been reasonable disagreement about this passage because Jesus doesn't tease out all that it means to render some. What all should we render to Caesar? What all should we render to God? And he, I think, remained intentionally vague on the point. I'm going to give you a few ideas that will guide us, and they're in the form of images on the PowerPoint and also in page four of your bulletin. Jim, could, could you bring up? Yeah, okay. So this image I found very helpful, and it was drawn up by Stephen Wood just this week. You know, I'd like to get the opinion of you know, the other elders and pastoral residents and interns and staff when we're on a, uh, a passage like this. I really want to know what you all think. And, and, and Stephen really pondered on it, and he, he drew this up, and I think it's pretty close. I think this is a pretty good example of what Jesus is saying. What does this mean? Notice that there is a sphere of things that belong to Caesar, but it's within the larger sphere that belongs to God. Let me be really clear. There is nothing that's not God's. This is the first point of confusion. It's not like there are some things out there that God cannot lay claim to, and this is the first and probably most popular error when we look at this passage. Well, it's just saying there's some stuff that God can't touch. False. There are things that in God's divine, confusing, but divine sovereignty and goodness has given to the sphere of government to say, let this be a sphere of authority in your life. That's at least what this passage means. God has appointed governments for certain good ends. The problem is, those governments don't do only good things. So get this, one of the things that this means is, God, in his goodness, has appointed human governments that sometimes do evil things. Just a few more things that we can say about this passage. A few things that we should not get from this passage. Jim, next one. Let's go actually on to the next one. We're going to come back to that one. Okay, there's this, there's this other error that somehow what is Caesar's and God's should be identified. You know how we fix all this? Just get a really good Christian king or president. And then we'll get the entire sphere of what God wants for the world, put it onto this one leader or some kind of hegemony and, uh, or, or you know, oligarchy, and we'll, 
we'll, we'll just kind of make these spheres perfectly overlay so there'll be no problem. Vote for the best Christian president ever and there'll be no problem. Get a perfect Christian Congress, get the perfect Christian king, and there'll be no problem. Let me go to the next one that this doesn't mean, and then I'm going to come back to both of them together. And then this is the other one that I talked about initially. The idea that somehow God's sphere of authority, this is all the stuff you give to God, but you know there are some stuff that you should not give to God, but give to Caesar. Let me just say a few things and bring them right down to earth, if any of this is getting a little bit confusing. There was a, a documentary that a woman in our congregation recommended to me, Jen Hoke. I don't know if Jen's here today. But she recently recommended to me the documentary that PBS did in their American Experience series on Billy Graham. I don't know if anybody else saw it. Billy Graham, in the 20th century, nobody proclaimed the name and the gospel of Jesus Christ to more people on the planet than Billy Graham did. And he was a figure that we can look back on and see both his goodness and his flaws. You know, one of the things he did in 1968 is he got fully behind the re-election campaign for Richard Nixon. And he steered a lot of Christian, particularly conservative Christian, votes toward Nixon uh, and didn't really mince words. I mean, that might be a little bit of an overstatement, but just barely. He was like, let's get behind Nixon because he's got the Christian values. And right on the heels of that, by the end of his first administration, came Watergate. And then came the Nixon tapes where you found out all the ways that Nixon had let evil creep into his administration. And that that confidence, in, insofar as it was confidence that this guy is God's man for the moment, that confidence was misplaced. And so fast forward, about 10 years later, there's the rise of this moral majority. Jerry Falwell, if you know this, like really big megachurch pastors that says, let's get the most Christians in Congress that we can with a particular view of government, a very particular view of government. And Billy Graham, you want me to be on our side. We want you to be on our side with this. And Billy Graham said, I've been there and done that. And that's not what God wants me to do. I've tasted that overreach and it's done real harm. So we actually have not seen it work out that what God wants is for us to just somehow find the perfect Christian leader and just make that to, in a situation that brings all of what God wants through, through government into the world. It's done some harm. But on the split side, we can't just say, put all of your Christian values to the side when you go to the polls. How can we possibly do that? I want to go back to that, to that other one, Jim, that I skipped over. Yeah, this one. This is what we have to reach out for. This is what we have to watch out for, rather. What we are watching for in this passage is any place where what God has given to the government is a reach. What are the ways that actually the government might reach into what God wants for himself? That's what we want to be on guard against. Now we can go back to the first one, Jim. Sorry, I know I'm really throwing you some hurdles here. If this is what we're looking at, what does it mean exactly to render to Caesar what Caesar is due? Well, one of the things that's really clearly put is taxes. Even here, so there's some disagreement. Some people think that in, in looking at the coin, Jesus says, render to Caesar, Caesar what is Caesar's. He's basically just saying, get this filth out of my face. I don't even want to look at this coin. Just give it back to him. Other people think he's really saying, pay your taxes. We know the Apostle Paul, 
really believed Jesus was saying, pay your taxes. And here's the problem again. Roman taxes paid for really evil things, as well as good things. American taxes pay for really evil things, as well as good things. I'm glad for roads and playgrounds and sanitation and a good and wise defense of our country. I am also really troubled by drone strikes that destroy civilian populations and put us at a distance of 10,000 miles from harm. And we're doing it all the time. And we're paying for it. I don't mind saying that. So there should be a little bit of a splitness here. Many good things are taxes paid for. Many evil things. To render unto Caesar does not mean you don't protest. It does not mean you don't critique. I mean, Jesus and Paul and the Apostle John, they're doing it all the time. It's basically the whole book of Revelation. In addition to being prophecy, it's one huge critique of the, the Roman Empire that's ungodly. And yet, render to Caesar. Be a citizen of God's kingdom while acknowledging the authority of governments. And Jesus doesn't parse it out much more than that. So here's a takeaway, folks. I, I want to end with this. I really believe this requires wisdom. And that's not a cop-out. That's just a fact. Faithful Christians disagree all the time on what it means. What's the line? And most recently in our congregation... We brought this up, the elders of this church brought this up in the conversation about masking. If the governing authorities of the city are asking us to, well, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us individually? What does that mean for a policy for a whole church? What do we do with that? At the moment, the elders have said, we do not believe that the government is asking so much of us in doing this that we are rendering to them what is God's. So we're going to keep requiring them in our services for now. Could something arise that changes that, that really makes it feel, as we're discerning, that we're giving Caesar something that is God's now. That means we have to stop. But that's not abundantly clear all the time. And it's okay to say, I think this is the right decision, but I'm not sure. It shouldn't be unexpected to hear that a lot sometimes. We have said also, we do feel like we're drawing a line if the local government said you should require vaccinations for your services. And there's a whole lot that goes into that. Some of you might be incredibly opposed to that idea, but as we pondered and prayed and got discussion from other churches on that and from many of you, that seems like it really would be. Like requiring something in your bloodstream in order to worship with God's people on a Sunday. We just could not see that being something that belonged a little more to God. That we don't feel called to give Caesar should he ask. And here's a... Here's a word of comfort, folks. I don't want this to be, a sermon shouldn't just be a lecture about what the Bible says on a certain teaching. It should, it should remind us why we are alive in Christ. 
and why he is the hope of heaven and earth. So hopefully this isn't just jerking the wheel or the steering wheel into another point altogether. I really do believe this is the heart of this text. So I want to give you the gospel as we close. And here it is. Jesus gave a really shrewd, pretty smart, evasive answer, and it didn't stop him from getting murdered. Here's the point of that. We should not expect in this life that martyrdom will stop. We shouldn't expect in this life that conflict will end. We shouldn't expect in this life that there will ever be an extended season where we're not feeling terribly split in terms of our allegiances. That's not the hope that God gives. The hope that God gives is I will meet you in it. I've been there. And I'm holding on to you to bring you through and even helping you be part of my work renewing the world as you helplessly, hoping only on me, just keep going in the impossible tension, remembering that I am your only hope. Hoping in me will refine the world. The point isn't make everything clear politically. The point isn't have a policy for two years with no missteps that you don't have to apologize for. Oh, man. Who could bear up under that? You can't. Either can I or the elders. We should have to say, I'm sorry. We were wrong. The point is, cling to him like never before. When things feel like impossible tensions around you, be anchored in the one thing that you can be absolutely confident in. It's you're not lost, and there are always things to give God that you'll never have to give the government. What are those things? Your worship. And by worship, I mean big W worship. I don't just mean Sunday morning worship. I mean giving him your hope. Giving him your hope to the extent that your peace is not rocked. When crazy things happen, when volatile things happen, when violent things happen, when politically confusing things happen, when conflicts at play, you're like, how did we even get here? I have no idea. It makes no sense. I've lost the map already. Put your hope in him in such a way that you'll be grounded and not get the wind knocked out of you. Listen, Rome and the people of Israel did end up coming to violent blows. Jesus didn't stop that. In AD 70, there was war in Judea between them. The faith community didn't stop getting torn apart. A little more than a decade after Jesus was risen from the dead, Stephen was martyred by the faith community. These tears didn't stop. And in 2022, there is no avoiding being misunderstood, even martyred. In the midst of it all, your anchor is how you answer the question, what is God's alone? Your worship, your, your peace, and your salvation. Listen to this. If we are justified Jesus did for us on the cross in the year 33, that means we're not justified by our correct position on masks or on politics or on points of conflict that are going to keep coming. Praise God we're not justified by that. And we get to say, I'm not sure or I'm sorry or I'm confused or I disagree. God's alone, our salvation alone. He will forgive. He will provide grace. Let's keep clinging to him alone for the hope of our salvation.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.